Live from the planet Love Tron. Thomas Game Podcast. Episode 41. I am DJ Realm Life. And here with my wife, my companion. You know my name is Justin. How you doing this evening, dear? Good. I'm excited about tonight. Good. This is a very, very special night tonight. Uh, starting off uh, Black History. And what a better way to start off Black History with this, this gentleman we're about to talk to. Let me just give you uh, a breakdown. He's an American lawyer, entrepreneur, currently running for uh, the mayor of New York in 2021. Uh, he was wrongly convicted in 1990 on 10 charges and sentenced to life in prison. He represented himself. He ensured all charges were overturned and even got a police officer to admit under the oath of evidence tampering. He also has a t- uh, hit TV show on ABC called For Life. Ladies and gentlemen, we have Isaac Wright Jr. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Glad to be here. I appreciate it. How, how are you doing uh, today, sir? I'm great. Uh, as as every day, I'm I'm doing I'm doing good. I'm living. I'm doing fine. That's good. That's good to hear. Yes. That's good. So, uh, like we had uh, mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, you're running for a mayor in New York. What made you want to run for uh, mayor of the city? Um, you know, it was a, it was a couple of things. Uh, the two most significant uh, things was the 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 state that New York City is in right now. It's it's in a state that it's it's never been in before, uh, and and throughout history, it's it's actually been able to withstand. Um, for example, when the when COVID hit, um, maybe a month after COVID hit, I went into Times Square. Uh, and for those people that live in New York, those who visited, they understand what I'm about to say. Uh, Times Square was empty. I mean, it, it was completely mm-hmm. empty. And uh, maybe there were a couple of people on the street and, and those were law enforcement officers. I've, I've never seen in my entire life, I've never seen uh, Times Square completely empty like that. And that, you know, that scared me. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, behind that, uh, you have the loss of hundreds of thousands of jobs. Uh, I went to visit a friend several months later um, he's a supervisor for a maintenance company and, and I was talking to him on his job and he was, as I was talking to him, he was going from one floor to the other, he, you know, in, in a, a Madison Avenue, one of the commercial high rises and each floor he went on, they were empty, completely empty. The businesses were gone. And so when I questioned him about it, he was like, yeah, they're, they're continuing to leave. And he was pointing out other commercial buildings where entire floors, you know, were emptied out because businesses were leaving. And so, you know, when you, when you, when I, when I, when I kind of realized what, what was happening, I knew it was, it was something different. You know, it was something uh, a lot more different, uh, a lot more complex, the issues that New York City was going through, especially when you backdrop that against the fact that New York City can't borrow money. And a, and a lot of people don't know this, that New York City was barred from being able to raise its own money when mm. it gets into these financial difficulties. And so now you have a city like New York. Um, who cannot raise money? The deficit is is get it going, growing out of control. Mm-hmm. You can't raise taxes because there's no jobs. You know, uh, COVID has has destroyed that. Uh, and the only way New York can get money is either to beg the federal or state government. And so this was an issue uh, that I saw uh, that needed a special person. It, it, it needed somebody. The next, New York's next mayor is going to have to be someone that not only can think outside the box but that can make the impossible possible. And right. so, you know, I had, a, I had an incredible journey uh, in my life and, and you know, I, I had a couple of awakenings. 
uh, one of the awakenings was, was when I, you know, actually when I went to prison, I mean, before that happened, I was doing really well. Uh, I was doing well in my own career and my, my ex-wife uh, at the time, uh, she uh, was one of the biggest girls group out there. She was with the cover girls, you know, and, and they were selling millions of records. And so we were doing really well. And I, I really thought I had it together. Uh, but when I went to prison, um, I realized uh, that that's where I actually found myself. I, mm. I, I did not, I did not understand, you know, um, um, what I was actually made of and, and the, the depth of my intellectual capacity until I was in a situation that challenged me in a way that, that, that was, uh, that forced me to explore, you know, who I really was. And so, and so that awakening, uh, that, that finding of, of myself, you know, in prison brought, brings me back to this, to, to today. Um, and, and what New York is going through. When you look at the two major tragedies that, that New York is, is bookmarked between, you have the Spanish flu that occurred in, in 1918, mm-hmm. that hundreds of thousands of people lost their lives, but, but New York continued to, to flourish. You have the recent tragedy, 9-11, thousands of people lost their lives. But when you drove up to Midtown, New York was still moving forward. It was bustling, but now it's on its knees. And I don't see how that's going to happen, how, how the, it, anyone's going to turn that around uh, unless they're able to make the impossible possible. And so that was my second awakening, that the things that I was concerned about and the people that I was looking for, because I looked through the candidacy, I looked at their backgrounds, and, and I realized that the things that I was looking for in those candidates was already in me. You know, wow. my background, the, 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 the tragedies and, and, the, and the challenges that I faced, uh, the ability to be able to get into something uh, fall into something and trapped into something that I, I've never encountered before because I knew nothing about the law and and be able to take that complex situation not only figure it out but use it in my favor to triumph uh, over those challenges to be able to, to to create something out of nothing and to make the impossible possible the things that I was looking for was was already in me and so that was my second awakening um it, it was like this journey that I've taken all these years brought me to this place in time uh, and so I decided I was going to get into the race, roll my sleeves up, um, and be that person that's going to turn New York around. Wow. And you were a victim of the Biden crime law of the 90s. Yes. Can you explain yes. to everyone uh, what that is? Well, um, back when uh, Bill Clinton was president, uh, Clinton, uh, and, and it was spearheaded really by Biden, uh, embarked on an initiative uh, to enhance uh, criminal laws across the board with a heavy concentration on drug laws. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that enhancement uh, meant not only mandatory minimums, um, but life sentences uh, for crimes other than, than murder, you know, uh, violent crimes, drug crimes, mm-hmm. uh, and, and other types of crimes other than murder. And so uh, there were also mandatory minimums attached to that where you know, people were mandated uh, to spend uh, very, very, very long lengths of time in prison uh, before they even be eligible for parole. Uh, and what that meant was it, it gave law enforcement, it gave law enforcement uh, the tools that it needed to just round people up. And, and, and one of the things about mass incarceration uh, with these laws that, 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 that President Biden spearheaded was that during the time that these laws were implemented, you know, the, the culture was lock them up and throw away the key. But the people who suffered most was those in the black and brown communities. And when you look back to those, those times, one of the things that was prominent during those times also 
was the war that they, the so-called war that they that they had on organized crime. And so let me let me compare those two when it comes to the war, you know, the, the war on drugs or the war against crime, and you know these enhanced uh, penalties that that Biden uh, uh, spearheaded. Um, when you watch TV and you saw, uh, because that's what we had back there, there was no social media, you know. Right. So when you looked at TV <laughs> and you saw a mob figure uh, being escorted out of his house. You know, he was escorted alone. He was put in, a, in the back of a police car and he was taken to jail. When they went into black and brown neighborhoods, they took the entire house. They took the mother, the father, the sister, the brother, the grandmother. They didn't care whether you were blind or in a wheelchair. And when they took the entire house, they charged everybody, people that were guilty and people that were innocent. And then they made the family turn on each other. You know, they, they used the power of the government to turn families against each other. So it was a complete decimation you know, of the black community through this, through this, uh, through this crime bill. And so, uh, you know, I was, I was caught up in that. The, the, the prosecutor that actually came after me was someone who created a criminal organization within his prosecutor's office. And that criminal organization was veered toward forfeiture. He wanted to, he targeted people with money and um, set them up, set a lot of them up, took their property, and then had friends go to the auction and auction uh, on the property to get, to get the property. And so before this even happened to me, you know, he was involved in, in a lot of corruption that ultimately caught up with him. Uh, and, and, and that was because he had the power, you know, of these crime bills uh, that Biden spearheaded. And those, those same crime bills were the, were the catalyst and were the backdrop for all the state crime bills. Because when the federal government passed these laws like this, the states follow right behind. And these laws, the, the, the state try to make their laws mimic the same as, as, you know, as, as federal laws. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I got, I got caught up into that suite. And uh, unfortunately, 99% uh, of the people that did get caught up in it wasn't, you know, wasn't able to, to get out like I did. Right. right. If you become mayor of New York, uh, what are some of the changes that uh, you would like to make? Well, when I become mayor, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. When you become mayor, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, it's, 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 it's okay. It's, it's you know, it's, uh, <laughs> um, you know, when I become mayor, uh, you know, there, there's three marquee issues uh, that mean a lot to me and that, uh, you know, I'm looking to tackle, I'm going to tackle uh, from day one. One is housing. Uh, the other is uh, criminal justice reform. Yeah. And obviously the economy. Yeah. Uh, and so attacking the economy first, you know, when I when I go out there and I, I shake hands and I meet people, you know, you know, there's a lot of talk uh, in the communities and on, on social media and on, on, on TV about um, criminal justice reform. And, you know, there's a lot of talk about uh, homelessness, but the people on the ground are very concerned uh, uh, about their financial future. They're they're right. starving. Yeah. You know, COVID COVID has 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 really really decimated financially even the the uh, middle income families you know so the the lower income families and marginalized families they were already hurting but now you know they're hurting times 10 right. and the middle income families are they're, they're 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 hungry too and so you know one of the things that everyone is very very concerned about is how they're going to live uh you know in the future I mean, and, and this and this not not only uh, deals with their paying their mortgage but also paying the rent you know, a lot of them have had their rents and mortgages in abeyance uh, because it is COVID. But one day is going to come, you know, when there's going to be a calling, uh, somebody's going to have to start paying up. And so they're very, very concerned about this. Uh, and, you know, as far as the economy is concerned, I think the next mayor 
is going to really have to think outside the box oh, yeah. in order to make that to make that happen, in order to turn New York around. And so here's the things that that we're not hearing from our candidates right. um, uh, it, when it comes to the economy. New York is the richest city in the world. It is a financial capital of the world. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you look at that reality, the first thing that you got to think uh, as a mayor and as and as a citizen uh, resident of New York is why would the mayor of the richest city in the world have to beg? Mm. Why? Like, it, it doesn't even make any sense. Right. Why, does, why is Mayor de Blasio right now in Albany trying to get Albany to allow him to raise money? I mean, why is he begging? And so, and so the reason that is, is because there's an inability to be able to see the things that is right in front of your face. When you have the when you when you are the mayor of the richest city in the world, what you're not realizing is that the ingredients to turn that city around is right there in that city. It has to be if that's where all the money is. Right. And so when you look at that, here's what you see. You see a city uh, that 113 billionaires call home. New York is the home of more billionaires than any city in the world. Mm-hmm. Those 113 billionaires has profited during COVID alone a trillion dollars collectively. And so it's like, um, excuse me, Mayor, what what the hell are you doing? Right. You know, as as the next mayor mayor of New York City, this this is what I, I see. And this is one of the things that I think is 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 uh very, very significantly important to the economy. I'm going to sit down with these billionaires and I don't need half of them. I don't even need a third of them because one of these billionaires can write a check and get New York off, out of his deficit overnight. No but we don't, you know, like I said before, there's no need to beg. New York is a, a powerful city. So, hey, you guys, let's partner together. Let's get in a partnership, the city and you all, and let's create two significant programs. Let's create a young entrepreneur program and let's create a free enterprise program. In the young entrepreneur program, let's give these guys, these kids, 18 years old, coming out of high school that doesn't want to go to college, but got great ideas for businesses. Let's give them grants. Okay. Let's give them grants to start their own businesses. And all these, these, these high rises where these floors are empty. Don't worry about it. The city will rent them. And that's where we'll put these young entrepreneurs. We'll put them in those, those, those buildings. All right. When you got to, when you go to the free enterprise programs, now you're talking about the most ingenious ideas. You're talking about people who are the, who, who could be the next Amazon or the next Google or the next Microsoft. Let's actually partner with them. We don't give them grants. We actually dump our money in them, become partners because, hey, billionaires, now you're going to get a return. How much more richer are you going to be if you create, if you're responsible with your money of creating the next Google? You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to get a return on your money as a businessman. And the city is going to be right there with you, helping you along with this process. And so here's what that means. That means hundreds of millions of dollars dumped into the economy of New York City. And we've looked nowhere else but home. You know, and, and this is what you're not hearing uh, from these run of the mill mayors, from these guys who are out there shaking hands and telling lies. And the reason why you're not hearing it from them is because they don't think like that. If they did, a lot of them are career politicians. If they did, the lives of their constituents would have changed already. But they don't. You know, and so from an from an economic standpoint, the ingredients is in New York City. And when New York City gets on its feet on its own, you will have people open up the doors. Albany will open up its doors to New York for, to allow New York to be able to, to raise money again. You're yeah. not going to have to beg the president and you're not going to have to beg the governor. The, they'll ask you what you want. 
you know, because you have your own strength. You're coming to the table with strength and with power. And, and there's not there's not this this exertion, you know, of authority over you as mayor because you're the richest. You're the mayor of the richest city in the world. But, hey, I'm president and, hey, I'm governor. You've got to listen to me. I don't care whether you do. I mean, I mean that's the attitude in politics. You know, and so there's this there's always this this give and take this power struggle between people of prominence uh, in politics. And I, and I think the next mayor uh, understanding that and knowing how to get uh, New York uh, back on its feet is not going to have to have to deal with that to the level that they're dealing with it now. So that, that's one thing when it comes to economics. Right. The other thing, you know, it's related to economics is housing. Right. And, and this is and this is a very significant thing also in New York. This, that's the reason why it's a marquee issue for me. New York City Housing Authority, they call it NYCHA, the acronym is NYCHA, houses over a half of million people. The reason why that's significant, because if you look at New York City Housing Authority, if you look at NYCHA, you know, as an, a, a population entity, it will be bigger than the city of Atlanta. It will be bigger by population than the city of Miami, Florida. It will be bigger than Oakland, California. NYCHA is literally a city within a city. So think about that. Think about you driving into Miami, right? Or West Palm Beach or Fort Lauderdale and no one in those cities own their own home. Mm. Think about something. Think about it. Because when you look at NYCHA, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at an entire city where no one owns their own home. And this is not something that just happened. It was designed that way. Generation after generation after generation after generation, you have generational renters who, who are born with, with nothing and they die with nothing, mm -hmm. nothing to leave behind. And so as the, as the next mayor of New York City, I'm changing that. Oh, NYCHA is now going to be evolved from a serial landlord to a conduit, a path to home ownership. So that even those people who are in those low income houses, they can own their apartments. They can take pride in where they live. You know, the, the things that we see in these and some of these projects, you know, you walk into the staircase and what do you smell? You smell urine. You know, the, why do you smell that? They don't care. That there's a, they're, 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 their environment is corroded with hopelessness. But what happens now if these people own their own home? They can now leverage it to send their kids to college. They can mm -hmm. leave something when they're gone. You know, home ownership is a foundation of wealth. It's the foundation of worth. And so, and so it is ridiculous. Decade after decade after decade, almost 100 years, that, yeah. that New York has been perpetuating generational uh, renters. And, and that's something that I'm going to stop by turning NYCHA into a conduit for home ownership for all New Yorkers, including those in those NYCHA housing complexes. Uh, and so that's so, so that's you know that that's the housing issue. The other issue, you know, obviously is something that's dear to my heart um, because of my experiences, and, and that's right. criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. you know, um, one of the things that we have to understand about about criminal justice reform is the responsibility. Uh, that we have as citizens, the responsibility that communities have when it comes down to crime and punishment. You know, yes, uh, we have government that has set up crime and punishment uh, that's supposed to work even-handedly and with fairness. But we also know uh, that that has been corroded uh, in, a, in a lot of ways. And that because of biases, and prejudices and yeah. racism and all different other kinds of things. You know, people of color, black and brown people have gotten a short end of the stick 
when it came to how we're treated by the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. And so when I say the community plays uh, a significant part in that, what I mean is this, you have community organizations, you have people that's actually been in prison and that have gotten out of prison and have put together these community organizations that is designed to attack these problems before they turn violent. Who knows about the issues in the community before they turn violent? The people in the community. Right. Nine times out of 10 before a crime occurs, especially a violent crime, we already know that there was long churning beef between these two people, between these two fractures. We in the community know this already. The streets already know. We already know that. So if we can dump money, like we've dumped money in law enforcement, if we can divert some of that money that we've that we've dumped in law enforcement to these communities to say, hey, guys, listen, the police officers, the police force is here to do two things. They're in here to enforce the law and they're here to deter crime. They're not here. They are there. The, the police police officers job is not crime prevention. They usually come after it happens. Crime prevention is a community responsibility, not law enforcement. Right. And so when we began to look at, 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 at who's responsible for what, you know, the next mayor of New York, i.e. Isaac Wright Jr., is going to do the things that most of these mayors have, have, have not done. They're going to put the responsibility predominantly for crime prevention, or, or I'm going to do that. Right. I'm going to put the responsibility for crime prevention on the communities, and I will fund programs for that purpose. The responsibility to deter crime and enforce the law is on law enforcement. And, and, in, and in doing that, in diverting some of that money from law enforcement directly to the communities, I bridge the gap between law enforcement and the communities themselves. You have to, you have to reverse that culture of silence, the culture of brutality, you know, the culture of corruption, and you have to bring the communities and law enforcement together. One of the ways of doing that is diverting some of those funds putting the responsibilities where they are, starting communication between, between these, these two groups of, of people and, and, and slowly evolving uh, NYPD uh, and, 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 and to an icon of what it truly means to protect and serve. Uh, and, as, and as mayor of New York City, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I'm going to do when it comes down to criminal justice reform. Yeah, I feel like that communication, what you just said, between the police system and the community, I feel like that is very important because that's been absolutely for yeah. quite a long time. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and when the community knows that some of their money that they're getting for these programs is coming from the police, it 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 it, it actually encourages communication because they know this is your money we're getting. So right. so you're encouraged to communicate in ways that you were never encouraged to do so before. You know, if I'm if if if, if as mayor, you know, I'm dumping ten million dollars. Uh, uh, in Queensbridge, which is the biggest housing complex in the mm-hmm. country, if I'm bu- dumping ten million dollars in Queensbridge, you know, in these in these in these nonprofit programs uh, uh, to make to ensure uh, that crime prevention is, is taking place in those communities, they will communicate with the police because that's law enforcement money that that I'm diverting right. to them. So not only will will they communicate, but they have to, and they have to communicate in ways uh, that is productive not in ways that is counterproductive because that's, that's a lot of money and it, and it's going to make a difference. The numbers will fall. When you start seeing the numbers fall, then, then that evolution process, that's the seed of that evolution process that, it, that is eventually uh, going to, going to uh, turn into a harmonious relationship between law enforcement and the communities. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So it's definitely going to take the right leadership <laughs> to yeah. make that change. Um, 
what I want to know is how did you meet 50 Cent and how did the show for life come about? Um, well, you know, I, I met 50 through a, through a, uh, a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, uh, named Andy mascot. We call him Hove. And, um, I met Hove, uh, through another friend uh, named Darren Dean. Darren Dean is the owner of Rough Riders. Okay. Uh, wow. Um, Hove had been complaining to Darren, uh, about this illegal fight club that he started. It, it was, and it was huge. I mean, he was very, very successful. He had rappers like Fat Joe, Remy Ma come out during intermission and, and perform. Uh, and 50 was a friend of his. He wanted 50 to come out and perform, uh, but 50 wouldn't do it. And the reason why 50 wouldn't do it is because at the time, 50 had his promoter's license and he did not want to get caught on film at an illegal oh, fight club right. and, and wind up losing his license. So 50 said, listen, you get legal, man. I'll, you know, I'm, I'm with there. I'm, I'm, I'm out there. I'm with you. Uh, you. You have 100% of my support. So this guy spent thousands and thousands of dollars on lawyers 50 even shot him a couple of lawyers and they all told him the same thing it's impossible we cannot make an illegal fight club legal mm -hmm. so when he complained to, to darren about it darren said listen where all these other guys failed i think i got somebody that's gonna that's gonna help you out so he introduced me to hove hove told me his problem and i got the fight club legal in two weeks and 50 came out to perform oh, so wow. when 50 came out to perform <laughs> he was like yo how the hell did you do this you know and so he explained to 50, you know, who helped him. He, you know, he told him about me and about my story and how I helped him and how I made it happen in just a, such a short period of time. And so 50 was like, listen, you got to set up a meeting with me and this guy, man. And uh, Hope set the meeting up and the rest is history. Wow. All right. Um, we see that you're making a, a stop uh, next week, which is happen to be our hometown. Our hometown. In South Florida. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm doing, uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be doing fundraisers uh, in South Florida, uh, in Miami, uh, on the 18th, um, uh, in West Palm beach on the 19th, I'm sorry, in Fort Lauderdale on the 19th and in West Palm beach on the 20th. And, um, uh, it, the fundraiser, it's like a tour. We started it's something, you know, it's something different, something unique, uh, in the world of politics, especially local politics. Um, you know, we're doing what's called a lead by example fundraising tour. Um, and that lead by example fundraising tour is designed uh, uh, to go into the communities outside of New York City uh, and say to these communities, listen, you know, I, I know that you all have some of the same problems that New York City has. Mm -hmm. I know that you all uh, have some of the same issues with your leaders and with your candidates uh, that New York City has, that there are things that you need to happen in your communities that hasn't happened, that there are things that you've been shouting off the rooftop, rooftops to happen. And every time you, you choose a candidate to lead you, you get the same thing. And so uh, as a mayor of New York City, I, I think I have a responsibility not only directly to New York City primarily, but to the country as a whole to lead by example. Yeah. And so I decided that I was going to go to these different communities outside of New York and say, listen, here's a way that you can tell your candidates, that you can tell your leaders. This is a man that not only that we respect, but we believe that he's going to lead by example. We want you all to know that we're not satisfied with a lot of things. And so we're going to support this person. We're going to support this candidate for mayor of New York City to let you know that we want these same changes in our city. Right. And so and so that is the gist of our lead by example tour to say to everyone and, and, and you know, the, the communities, hopefully this will spark a movement within the individual communities uh, and to wake their candidates up. Like, listen, wherever we're going to find that inspiration, 
wherever we're going to find that leadership to point to, to say, this is the way things are supposed to be done. We're going to follow that person and we're going to support him. And, and that's why I'm, I'm coming to South Florida. South Florida is going to be the blueprint for all the other cities that I'm going to be going to uh, around the country. Okay, great. Give everybody uh, the dates that you're going to come to South Florida. Everybody listening right now. Uh, I'll be in I'll be in South Florida uh, a little early, but the the dates that the fundraisers are going to occur is on the 18th in Miami, uh, on the 19th in Fort Lauderdale, uh, and on the 20th in West Palm Beach. Okay, great. All right, sir, we're not going to hold you much longer, but before you go, we just want to say that this has been an honor for us uh, talking to you. Um, um, we're glad that you decided to do the lead by example tour, not only in New York, but also in, in South Florida and other areas as well, right. because people need to hear your story, not just, you know, on a hit TV show, which is a great show, by the way, we, we watch that show every week, <laughs> but you. you are, you know, not just saying it's because of black history, you are a role model for not just, you know, young African-American men, but also one who's been a similar story, such as yourself, who've been wrongly accused who been, you know, police, police brutality or anything in the nation, just being wrongly done by the law. Right. So people seeing you out there like this, like it's a huge, uh, it's, it's great. Like it's, it's Thank great. You. Your, your inspiration, Thank you. everything that you went through to Thank come you. out where you are now to be, cause you're going to be the mayor. We already talked about that yeah. already. You're going to be the mayor <laughs> of New York. So again, Thank we want to, we, we are honored and, and we are, you know, I'm, I'm lost words, you know, but now, I understand. And I really, I really, I really appreciate it. I, I know, I know the importance of, of what I've achieved uh, and what I'm doing. I know the importance, especially to the black and brown community uh, and, and, and just the challenges that we face as a community and as a people, you know, I, I understand uh, that value. Uh, and, and that is, that is the core reason behind lead by leading by example, because we need, you know, we, we have a, our, our black brothers and sisters are very, very intelligent, and and you know I am I am the, the one of the guys, one of the one of the uh, black men that we all can point to because and there's a lot of us, but I am one of them that we can point to and say, okay, okay listen, but what about this guy? You you say this about us, and you try to point it, point the picture, uh, uh, point a bad picture, and say you know this about us. But what do you say about that guy right there? What do you say about Isaac Wright Jr.? You know what do you say about R.I.P. Uh, Kobe Bryant? You know, what do you what do you say about uh, Barack Obama? You know, there's there's a lot of very, very in, intelligent black men that's, you know, that's that's doing things. The, yeah. the difference with me is that is that, you know, I, I came out of I came out of the the, the, the pits of hell, yeah. you know, um, and 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 this is something that as a, as a community um, we've been trying to survive since slavery. So I know the uniqueness, you know, I've mentioned a, a, a couple of, of very, very successful, prominent uh, and iconic black men, but at the end of the day, you know, they don't have my, my background. And so I know the right. importance of that uniqueness, right. uh, of where I came from and what that means to the community. And I'm hoping that that inspiration, uh, is something that flows from the prison, from the prison yards, um, you know, uh, to the doors of Congress for a lot more of our, our, our young black men and, and women, uh, that are aspiring to do great things. Right. right. Definitely history in the making. Definitely. Indeed. Indeed. So again, episode 41, you can check this out on YouTube, Spotify, on the listening platforms as well. Isaac Wright Jr., a.k.a. Make the right choice. AKA <laughs> New Yorkers. <laughs> right, New Yorkers. Everybody come out, support them on a uh, lead by example tour. Yes. This is the future mayor of New York. New York City.
All right, so it was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure is mine. Take care. Take care.